Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler-heavy. You have been warned. Welcome to Have You Seen This? I'm Jennifer Albright. Tim is absent tonight because he refused to watch the movie we're discussing. In his stead, we have gentleman pornographer Mike Rosen. How's it going, Mike? It's going well. Thanks for having me. As well as being a writer, a comic artist, and a journalist, Mike also has a successful sideline in celebrating larger women. Uh, You can check out the latest volume of his comic anthology, Muffin Top, over at eJunkie. Are you ready to purge some childhood trauma? Ah, well, um, this is this has been this has been a, a therapeutic um, <laughs> viewing session. So, but yeah, we watched a movie that I that I hated as a child, and watching it as an adult, I hate in an entirely different way now. <laughs> I don't exactly hate this movie. I guess I could say that my feelings about it are conflicted. Um, it has its charms. And in other ways, just completely fails. Um, what movie are we talking about, Mike? We're watching Raggedy Ann and Andy, colon, A Musical Adventure. And what an adventure it is. You, you can't accuse this movie of being misleading because it's definitely musical and events transpire <laughs> that happen. <laughs> Come see it. The feel-good movie <laughs> of the summer where things happen. It's a uh, a musical slog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this came out in 1977. It was intended to be a feature-length animated film that would compete on an equal footing with Disney movies, since Disney pretty much dominated um, feature animation um, because they had all the resources, basically. In spite of what some people on the internet might say, animation is very difficult, feature animation is even more difficult. At the time, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the case is today. But at the time that this movie came out, um, Disney animated features took about three years to produce. Mm. They tried to squeeze this one into a year, and they did that by hiring a young, talented director named Richard Williams, who had a lot of experience in commercial animation. He also worked for 29 years on a film called The Thief and the Cobbler, which was going to be his masterpiece. Uh, however, it was taken away from him uh, before completion and released by Miramax in heavily bastardized form. Uh, he's kind of got that reputation as, you know, the mad genius uh, sort of guy, I guess. Um, yeah, like he, in- he fascinates me because he's absolutely a master of the technical art of animation. Like, it's indisputable. I think there are sequ- there are particular bits and sequences in Thief and the Cobbler that I personally think stomp all over Disney, like they're that good, but that movie doesn't, well, it never actually arrived in the intended format, but I think even if it had, it wouldn't really have hung together that well, except as a series of set pieces. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Um, So yeah, yeah, so you got this this, uh, young, talented director um, working with a stable of top flight talent and all, and, uh, you know, some classic animators like, uh, Tissa David and Art Babbitt and other 
young animators who would go on to great success with, you know, as, as high as Disney. Um, but there's a dark side to this one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, is there ever? Um, <laughs> this, uh, oh, do you mean the actual film or do you mean the, uh, production history of this God, film? Just everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should say that I, for research on this book, I relied heavily on a book called The Animated Raggedy Ann and Andy uh, by John Canemaker, who's a, mm-hmm. also an animator and writer. Um, and it it's a pretty exhaustive account of the production of the film, as well as a description of exactly what goes into making an animated feature. It's hard to dig up, but it's it's worth a read if you're at all interest, interested in animation. But one thing that Canemaker didn't mention is why exactly this movie was produced by the Bob's Merrill Company. Yeah, so um, I, I have heard a lot of rumors about this. Um, apparently it was a PR move after the... The uh, the coup in Chile, <laughs> yeah, like that is that isn't even a lie. Like I I heard that and I was like, come on, like how can that be true? But like this is kind of how it breaks down. Um, okay, so Bob's Merrill was a book publisher. They owned the rights to Raggedy Ann and Andy. They in turn were owned by the Howard W. Sam's Company, which was in turn owned by ITT. Now. ITT was one of the first like global mega corporations, which they achieved under the leadership of a guy called uh, Harold Janine. Let me read the quote that kind of started us down this rabbit hole of research. Yeah. I found this in a book called Hedgehogs and Foxes, Character, Leadership, and Command and Organizations by Abraham Zelesnik, mm-hmm. uh, which, t- which uh, spends a lot of time touch, uh, talking about uh, Harold Janine's career. Uh, The notoriety of Janine and ITT received added momentum when journalist Jack Anderson revealed that Janine and ITT had offered in excess of seven figures to the CIA to prevent Salvador Allende from gaining the presidency of Chile. Um, And here's a quote from Harold Janine himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the context of our worldwide operations, this movie, frankly, could not be realistically ranked as a major business venture. But in terms of its impact among young people and bringing them bright, wholesome entertainment, we consider it a project of major proportions. Oh, wow. So you actually did find (laughs) found the connection. Also, this is funny. There was a related quote from uh, Joe Raposo, who is the, the composer for the film. This picture is going to make a lot of people happy, and I think along with running a multinational corporation brilliantly comes the social consciousness that would say, why don't we make a nice family movie for families around the world to see? Yeah, you know, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say <laughs> that uh, um, it may be hard to believe, but this movie is worse than the uh, Chilean coup. <laughs> <laughs> this movie should be one of the Desaparecidos, am I right? Well, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of those people deserve to get thrown out of helicopters. <laughs> Thanks, so, <you> Dad. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, that uh, is something my dad actually said once, for those of you playing along at home. He's a fun guy. Yeah. Well, you know, he can can't uh, he can either confirm to deny uh, any <laughs> participation in Operation Condor. So. <laughs> well, you laugh, but um, apparently the negative for this film has disappeared. <laughs> really? Yeah. It was disappeared, you say? <laughs> I hate this. this really fucking hate this movie. Uh, <laughs> well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the premise of the film? Okay, so the the premise of the movie is uh, Raggedy Ann and Andy, who are a pair who need no introduction. 
because we we all know Raggedy Ann and Andy. Um, they're dolls. They um, it's basically Toy Story when you think about it. Yeah, um, it's a proto a Toy doll, Story. Yeah, a new doll comes to the nursery. I guess it's you know their girl Marcella's birthday, so a, a French doll comes. She doesn't really seem to know she's a doll. I no. think. She Which thinks she's weird. French. <laughs> yeah, it never really comes into play in the movie. Um, then she gets kidnapped by pirates. Raggedy Ann and Andy have to go rescue her. They do rescue her. Movie ends. It's, you know, it's a pretty standard, uh, you know, when you boil it down, it seems pretty normal. It seems like a normal kids movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a simple little story which involves some adventuring. Yeah, um, it it is not normal. This movie is <laughs> bonkers. Um this is a movie that, like, I saw when I was uh, about maybe 10 years old on the television. I remember reading the uh, the descriptor in the TV guide, which existed at that time, saying Raggedy and Andy rescue a friend kidnapped by pirates. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds all right, you know. Um, Little did Saturday. you know. Yeah, I mean, it was Saturday morning. What else are you going to do? I'm just going to watch this movie that's on. Um, this this movie is... is um, it's difficult to sit through. Um, if, I understand if I, you could only rewatch it with the aid of liquor. Yeah, yeah, in, in five-minute increments. Uh, I, I have a uniquely um, uh, fraught relationship with this movie because when I saw it for the first time, first of all, um, I, was in a very, I was in a dark place in my life. You know, my family had just moved, new school, not really fitting in. I was kind of in a depressed state to begin with. You were doing a lot of heroin. You know, it's hard, hard days, you know, noir, noir, dark days. Um, but also, you know, I was at that age where I was first, you know, first understanding, um, uh, you know, first coming to terms with uh, with a unique sexuality. Yes. Uh, Your proclivities, <laughs> which, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy who enjoys, you know, all sorts of like uh, things, fatty and expansion related. And so uh, I just remember watching this movie and, and and anyone who has a fetish probably is aware of the fact that like if you see something that's like kind of touches on that fetish, but like not quite right, it, it's it's uniquely horrifying. Um, and especially if you're at that age where you're not quite, you know, you're not you're not quite comfortable with that fetish yet you don't really understand it you're just sort of getting to the point where you're realizing it even is a fetish rather than just a bizarre obsession mm-hmm. uh and then this film just like complete just throws all sorts of grotesqueries at you uh i wasn't yeah, it's like I- full of like eating and expansion yeah and i remember as a kid like because you know i i guess well, we'll get into this as we go through the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't able to actually complete it as a child. I actually eventually at one point uh, near the end, I was like, I can't take this anymore. I have to <laughs> I have to leave. Was, so it, when, know, was it when Coo- King Cuckoo like just suddenly got gigantic? Yeah, I was kind of like, this is I was like, I can't be in this room anymore. <laughs> so basically, we have the capsule version of like why this movie was so profoundly upsetting to you as a kid it is really deeply weird and like frankly off-putting in parts to watch even if you aren't like a repressed yeah. fetishist because that was yeah. my experience like watching it as an adult i actually hadn't seen it before um it turned up on youtube so um for our listeners it is available on youtube make sure that you watch if you must uh, make sure that you watch uh, what is labeled as the Cinemascope presentation. It's in the correct aspect ratio, and you know mm-hmm. has uh, 
has bars and everything. Um, you should probably also get stoned before you do it, because that's what I did. Because I got yeah. stoned and started watching it, and I was like, I and I DM'd you, and I was like, dude, Mike, like, you got it, you gotta watch the version of this, it's on, like, that's the Cinemascope version, like, I swear it's better, it's totally better, bro. Yeah, you're all like, oh, yeah, you know, the, 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 <coughs> the animation actually lines up with the music. <laughs> But, like, uh, and to be fair, like, the occasional pleasures of this movie do come through better when it's presented in the correct um, framing. Um, because they're... And the thing is, like, the movie actually starts off, like, fairly charming. Uh, yeah, for a given value of charming. I mean, compared to what comes <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, well, well how does how does it start? Well, it starts off live action. It's yes. basically like a little girl. She arrives home from school, goes up into her nursery. Played by and, the daughter of the director. Yeah. And and this <clears throat> this bit isn't like, well, it's not terrible, but it's filmed in a very 70s way where it's got that kind of like that grainy, um, you know, the, how everything is kind of yellowish and orange in the 70s. Um, <laughs> And there's no music, no sound effect, it's silence. So the whole thing looks like it's being filmed from the bushes by, like, an abductor or something. You ever it, see Sex Education for Trainables? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that style. It's that school of filmmaking, you know? Um, but, you know, she goes up to her room, and then it turns into... She leaves her doll there, Raggedy Ann, and then it turns into animation. And it's, you know, like Raggedy Ann and all her um, her horrendous... Uh, uh, you know, doll man versus demonic toys playmates. <laughs> yeah, like, and you know, I said that I wasn't, um, I wasn't going to do a nostalgia critic thing and just be like, yeah, that happened, like about everything in this movie. But like, these toys really suck. Yeah, well, it's weird because you're, I'm watching them and it's like, who has toys like this? Because they appear to be, well, there's like this weird mess of like kind of creepy victorian dolls and stuff but it's presumably taking place in contemporary times in the 70s um i mean i don't know like some of them are like okay there's like that weird mechanical guy with like eight arms who looks like six shooter from you know um puppet master and <laughs> maxi fix got, it yeah he's got like a vaguely italian accent in some scenes but not in others <laughs> i don't really know what's but it's the 70s that sort of humor is big back then yeah because then there's the, the pincushion woman who's kind of jewishy sounding yeah I mean, she's got kind of an accent she's like um, she's like the the den mother who fixes all the other uh toys stitches when yeah. they bust which i don't get why she doesn't fix the nose on the developmentally disabled beanbag yeah oh yeah that thing um, like maybe he just starts screaming when she touches him <laughs> god oh uh, there's also that like thing that's made out of just that's like a it's like a human centipede made out of socks <laughs> the know? sock worm yeah it's just socks tied together it's like okay that's a, that's um, a dog toy <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a giant harlequin yeah um, i don't know oh and then that weird like that that dried apple head old man thing yeah, the grandpa yeah. doll yeah, so there's just a lot oh, of, like, Oh, God, and then those fucking, uh, those little, like, cupies that sing and dance. Yeah, like the twins from The Shining. I hate those things. Yeah, those are pretty terrible. They have, every, like, every... they have, like, little chipmunk voices, and at the end of every bit they go, Whoa! Yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate, um, mm. it's unfortunate. Yeah, I would incinerate uh, those. 
Yeah. But, but yeah, so, so she um she has all those toys and then she also has like a, a pirate ship and a snow globe with a horny pirate in it. Yes. Um Okay, so yeah, there's that as well. Um <laughs> But yeah, so it's a uh, the the little girl Marcella, it's her seventh birthday. Um and we introduce the characters basically with a couple of songs, like Raggedy Ann gets a song and Raggedy Andy gets a song. Um the songs I think largely are a strength of this movie. They were written by Joe Raposo, who uh, did a lot of work for Sesame Street. He wrote Being Green. Um, and I actually like a lot of the songs in this movie. There are just so many of them. Yeah, well... Just constant. I, well, it is kind of a musical review. Yeah. Well, it's like, they're like, hey, maybe you want to advance the plot a little between each song, you know? <laughs> well, I think that's the thing, is like, um, a lot of... Because um, I remember reading when, like, Disney, you know, who, you know, you might have heard of them, when they <laughs> included songs in, like, a lot of their movies, like, all right, every song needs to either, like, advance the plot or, like, develop character. Yeah. And in this one, you got a lot of songs that are just there to for songs, you know. Well, you notice how all the songs are either about, like, having a friend or being a friend or not having a friend? Yeah, that's a theme in this movie. Like, they're thematically very samey. Yeah. I guess. Well, also, um, Andy has that song about how he's not a cuck. That's actually the best song. I like that one. <laughs> and a sequence that was animated by the director himself. No Girl's Toy, it's called. Yeah. Well, you know, he wants you to know that, um, you know, he's a man going his own way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um... Uh. Raggedy Ann has kind of been co-opted by uh, the anti-vax movement. Oh, that's right. Because didn't the real Marcella like die of like polio or something? Well, um, yeah, like because uh, I was I was gonna say that uh, Raggedy Raggedy Andy could be a symbol for the MGTOW movement. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so Rag- Raggedy Ann uh, was kind of co-opted because uh, Johnny Gruel, who created these dolls um, in the early part of the 20th century, he had a daughter who died at 14. Um, from an infected vaccination. Mm. Um, so it was it was unsterile. It wasn't like some vaccine injury shit like yeah. these people believe in. But you know, facts don't well, really like matter to said, them. It was like what 1914 or something. Sometimes something like that. I, I, yeah, I believe our understanding of like you know um, uh, you know germ theory and cleanliness and you know all that stuff. It's advanced a little bit since then. Yeah, somewhat. So We've learned you got to clean the needle. But yeah, apparently um, he he made up the characters to amuse his daughter, um, so they they existed uh, before her death. Oh, um, she wasn't Raggedy Ann wasn't created as a response to his daughter's death by Big yeah. Pharma. Let's put it that way. This that's like the most depressing origin story since like uh, <laughs> you know the Iron Giant was created to distract Sylvia Platt's kids from her like you know oven suicide. <laughs> God, you know, uh, animation and its uh, its origins are just really depressing if, if you dig into them. Yeah, uh, it's but terrible. anyway, back to this incredibly not depressing movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um. So yeah. So they there's a big there's a big scene about like yeah he's no girl's toy. Yeah, um, and Raggedy Ann gets a song. Um, I'd like to I'd actually like to shout out the voice actors in this movie who mm-hmm. do very fine work. Um. Even when the material is very grating. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, Raggedy Ann and Andy are both 
they both uh, do a fine job. Yeah, um, um, Anne was Didi Khan, who uh, is probably best known as Frenchie from Greece. Oh, um, okay. But she does she does a really good job. Um, the feel that Richard Williams wanted to get from her performance was uh, kind of youth mixed with wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think she puts that across really well. Um, Mark Baker, who um, was a veteran of Broadway, does a very good job as uh, Raggedy Andy. And there are a lot of other good voice actors in this. Yeah. You know, it is funny because right in this movie, Raggedy Ann and Andy are both very well... They're both very well defined characters. They're both very well acted characters. Like you, they're very likable. They're very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. You have a real sense for who each one of them is yeah. and what they want. And it's unfortunate because none of those things really come into play in the movie <laughs> at all. I mean, this is not a character based movie, and nothing about their personalities really affects any of the events that happen in this film. Yeah, which is kind of a waste. I mean, they're nice to the camel, but. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like I when when Raggedy Andy has an entire musical number about how he like he's a he-man woman hater. I'm like, <laughs> all right. Well, clearly this is going to be his character arc. He's going to learn, you know, to I don't know, get in touch with his feelings or something. And that doesn't really happen. No, there. They, nobody. Nobody in this movie really has an arc except maybe the pirate captain. Who? Well, does he learn that it's not okay to kidnap women? Um, he does well in the end. Um, I doesn't he get what he wants because she actually like does sort of like you know she kisses him or something. So the lesson is, um, yeah, kidnap women and it works out. Yeah, just fine. she says that he can visit her on Sunday instead yeah, so, of getting a, a a teeny tiny restraining order. Yeah, so uh, you know, just a man out there. There's a lesson for you. Just keep keep on trying. You know, <laughs> she says no. You know, just just keep keep going. Just, Guys, you, know. you don't have to shoot up your school. Like, just yeah. keep kidnapping women. It's really Babette. That's the French doll. Uh, it's really her duty to sleep with the captain so that he doesn't uh, <laughs> shoot up the nursery. I would be glad if she slept with him just to keep him from doing that thing he does with his stomach. Yeah, that's that's a little. Um, Gross. That's definitely yeah. He does this thing when he first sees her. He has a whole. He has a musical number where he basically sings about how you know how he wants to smash. Yeah. And um, he's he's kind of jumping. His his he keeps doing this kind of thing where he bounces his gut. Yeah. And it's. I mean, it. I didn't notice it as a child, but as an adult, it's like I think it's intended to kind of, I don't know, represent a hard on or something. I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird. Uh, it's so off putting. He's also got that uh, giant mustache that definitely becomes erect when he's excited. Yeah, and in fact, one of the one of the animators who's who's doing cleanup mentions it in Kane Maker's book. Like, haha, his mustache gets hard. <laughs> well, you know, I guess like it was at the well, you know, at the time it was 1977, and when when did Fritz the Cat come out? You know? Oh, and there's a part. Okay, so you know how like Babette's singing her song, and um, you know the captain's trying to look at her through a spyglass. Mm-hmm. And um, at the very end of her song, you know, we're seeing a, we're seeing her through his point of view, like through the spyglass. She she takes off her glove and she's like holding her glove and kind of like, you know, she's holding it up with one hand and it's kind of falling into the other, and it is in the shape of a dick and balls. Oh, I am not even kidding. 
Well, you know, they were Liter- like, hey, they literally let- drew a dick and balls. <laughs> let, let Disney make stuff for kids. We're making, you know, things for the uh, the whole family can enjoy. <laughs> and like, all. I'll, I'll post the screen cap because like I, I capped it to make sure that I wasn't insane. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, well, we'll get to back to the story such as it is. <laughs> Right. So so the, the, the captain, having seen Babette and fallen madly in love with her, uh, tricks Raggedy Ann into freeing him from the snow globe uh, yes. so that he can kidnap her. And since they're not in the ocean, the boat travels by walking on its uh, oars. <laughs> well, I don't know it what I'm it kind of moves like one of the like a mechanical daddy long legs or something, just kind of like yeah. the oars like move in unison like sh- and yeah. shift the boat on its way, which actually like the bit where the boat goes across the floor and then up the wall to the window yeah. and then out the window while, you know, while the captain is singing and all the pirates are singing and then there's this fade yeah. As they disappear from the window, like that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen, and I legitimately think that's a good gag because yeah. then uh, Raggedy Andy just says, "What happened?" <laughs> <laughs> Actually, and I will say the whole it is pretty cool seeing the, the the boat with the oars. That's kind of a neat thing they did. You know, that's <laughs> it's, creative. It's I really like that. It's really funny because it's yeah. like this fucking boat and it like goes up the wall and up the window. <laughs> Yeah, and like uh, the fade on the audio is just like it's. Uh, I fucking died laughing. It's so funny. Uh, credit where it's due. That's that's pretty good. That whole thing is good. Uh, <laughs> and but, like uh, I should also say that um, you know this isn't like action packed, but you know these sequences in the playroom, you know, like horrifying toys and horny pirate captains, notwithstanding, these are actually like very well done, well animated scenes. And one of the um. A major thesis of Canemaker's book about the production is that uh, feature animation fails when um, the makers don't achieve what he calls personality animation, which is when you are able to put a believable personality into the characters that are on the screen. And all, and you know, as a Richard Williams production, all these characters do have personality. Like those, those do come across and they are like incredibly well animated. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They don't. I mean, for the amount of screen time they have, you do get a pretty good idea of every what what role each of these awful dolls plays <laughs> in their world. So yeah, no, that that's true. That's very um, again credit where it's due. Um, but uh, up until this point, the movie is like pretty. You know, it's all right. It's it's <clears throat> weird, but it's not like awful. It's at this point that it goes off the rails because well, um, Raggedy Raggedy Ann realizes that she's just been made accessory to a rape. So <laughs> she she says like that she's like Andy, we have to rescue Babette. So they throw themselves at the window because they're rag dolls and they can do that. Right. Yeah. And then they go on their way to try to rescue Babette from the pirate captain. Yes, but here's the thing. It's like when I was a kid watching this movie, I was like, all right, they're going here. They're going into the woods. We're going to have like, you know, maybe they'll meet like a rabbit or an owl, you know, like normal like kids (laughs) movie wood stuff. Yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. Instead, they they fall into a giant sentient pit of taffy. (laughs) Um, And then they end up in Looney Land for some reason, which is like. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, so uh, you know, you're watching this movie. Yeah, all these things, and I'm like, are they now, have they gone and, is this, are these things that exist in the woods? Are they symbolic of something that, like, you know, um, 
Raggedy Ann and Andy, you know, they're meeting normal things like other toys maybe. And so humans wouldn't see these things or if, or if, if a human went in the woods, would they also see like, you know, all these, these, these horrors like, you know, um, Looney land and, and the greedy and all that stuff, or I don't know what. At well, end, I think that, um, I've heard, uh, Johnny Gruel's original books, like kind of described of having that quality that children's play usually had where you have these flights into fancy and then mm-hmm. you know back again um yeah. like if you're a kid and you're playing like your dolls get up to all kinds of like insane adventures you know but yeah. then in a blink of an eye you're back in, in the backyard which is what you see at the end of the movie Okay, maybe that I, doesn't I might... explain the taffy pit very well, though. Well, I mean, I might <laughs> be being unfair because you know I am an adult and I'm demanding some sort of semblance of adult logic in this movie. Well, I was gonna say at the end of the movie, they're they're in the ocean, you know, fighting pirates, and when we cut back, and then after that whole sequence, when we're, when Marcella comes out and discovers them, they're in like a little kind of fish pond in the front yard, and so I'm kind of like, okay, I get it, like the ocean's not real, it's just the fish pond it was either you know to them it's an ocean but to us humans oh it's just a fish pond i get it right <laughs> and there's some like kind of neat things because like meet a sea monster who's very clearly like an inner tube with tentacles you know oh is that why he has like a fucking nipple on his face yeah yeah and i'm like <laughs> okay you know that's kind of neat that's kind of a neat idea that like yeah because like when i was a kid i remember we play games and like one of the games we played was like you know my um you know, my neighbor, the neighbor girl had like all the My Little Ponies. So we'd like, okay, fine. We'll have, we'll have adventures with My Little Ponies do shit. And like one of them is like, oh no, Crasher is coming. He's the villain who hates the ponies. And it's basically my little brother's like big wheel. We would just run it down a hill and run over the ponies. And it was just, it was a big wheel. But we're like, it's a big monster, right? And it's the same thing here. Oh, it's like an inner tube, but it's a monster. Well, yeah. yeah. So, so things like that kind of fit. But then you get things like the taffy pit and it's like, Okay, I, I don't know if that fits into this sort of thing or if it's or what. I don't know. But Yeah, I mean um, maybe um maybe these were um I know the camel with the wrinkled knees was one. These might be well, characters. Well, these are a little toy. Yeah. Yeah. The, these might be characters that originated in the books. I don't know. Like I didn't I didn't check out a bunch mm-hmm. of Raggedy Ann and Andy books to Oh wait, is the, the, check. Ca- the camel in the books too? Yeah. There's oh, okay. there's there's specifically a book about them and the camel with the wrinkled knees. Okay, um, I who they then meet yeah. in the forest. Yeah. Okay. So the camel kind of fits because he is clearly a toy. Yeah. He mentions living with another kid and getting thrown out. I love when that bit because um, when he tells Raggedy Ann and Andy that uh, the kid's mom threw him out, they have these glazed look on their faces, like they're suddenly realizing their own toy mortality. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. They were just like there, but for the grace of God, go I. Again, it's an early Toy Story. Yeah. Um, yeah, <clears throat> and uh, some of the things like Looney Land, the Looney Knight, has stitches on his face. So it's like, is he another toy? Is he just a toy that lives in the woods? That's another character or, that I hate. Yeah, he's terrible. <laughs> I, we'll, we'll probably talk more yeah, about we'll, him. Yeah, we'll get to him. Because, um, yeah, like we're at the point where um, they've entered the woods. They talk about how they're scared. They have a song uh, reassuring themselves um right about uh oh yeah candy hearts and paper flowers this is just like this is like the hansel and gretel opera where they were like we got to make an opera for kids just throw in like they're they're gonna sing about everything um well and it's two siblings singing about how much they love each other 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah. And then they meet the camel. Yes. And I like the camel because he reminds me of my depressed ex-boyfriend. The camel's an okay <laughs> character. You know, again, I like I like because I think you were the one who said that the, the animation caveat or idea behind him is that he's like two guys in a camel suit. Yes. Um, he was animated by Art Babbitt. Um, he is credited with developing the character of Goofy for oh, Disney. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he also has a lot, a lot of other amazing anima- uh, animation credits to his name. Um, he worked a lot with Richard Williams. Um, and his idea with the camel was that basically it's uh, a slightly smarter head and a slightly dumber back end. Yeah. So the camel moves like 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 two guys in a camel suit, and yeah. the the I like I like the song and I like I like the way that the camel is am- animated. I'll admit it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, it's it's a it's a cool idea and it's uh, it's well done. Um, I mean, and um, like honestly, the camel has a point because if you listen to the lyrics of his song, it's all about like being like like having no friends and like nothing and you know how why wouldn't you be depressed? Yeah, yeah. Big mood. <laughs> but Relatable. sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> um, no, like, well, you know, that's the thing about this movie is the animation in this is um, amazing. They put so much effort into it. You can tell that, like, you know, so much love and care, you know, about the craft of animation. And um, and, and there, there's, you know just especially this is done in the 70s you know there's no what cgi and shit like that back then this Mm -hmm. is all done by hand it's like ooh, but ultimately it's just like ultimately it's like oh it's all this like loving care and service of just like a garbage story (laughs) and you know like again and at some point you're meeting diminishing returns when like they're putting all this effort into it it's like really children don't care children will watch like you know crap like gi joe where they you know they where they can't remember you know which which character has which hat between scenes <laughs> presuming that gi joe wears hats i don't remember well, and a while. i mean that's true like you and i grew up in the 80s which is the time when uh shows were animated shows were literally made to sell toys yeah, yeah. I mean, you just you you literally like you make a shitty toy, then you slap together a shitty cartoon to sell it. Yeah, and yeah, and and um, yeah, like everything was like that. So this is clearly like, uh, and and um, you know, there were all those cartoons in the eighties were made by people who did not care, and this is a movie clearly made by people who cared too much. Because <laughs> like. Um, nowadays, okay, I think I said this last time we're talking about this movie. Like the the this is a movie made for like those animation nerds mm-hmm. on Tumblr who just have entire blogs that are just smears of Bugs Bunny. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, the and kind of the kind of people who are like over fifty and like they've written a book on like some shit that nobody cares about, like Terry Tunes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Where you're like, you're like, oh, there are people who are like, who who just have like a whole a spank bank full of uh, walk cycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's uh, that's that's pretty much it. Because again, like the pleasure of this movie really come from like an appreciation of the craft. Um, yeah, and I think it's something which uh, tripped up Williams on on an occasion on occasion because. Um, it, it's funny because the guy could produce. I mean, you know, he worked. 
in commercial animation, when you absolutely have a hard deadline and a client like demanding that you meet it, so he is able to produce work on time. But I mean, his Thief and the Cobbler was in production for 29 years before yeah. the Completion Bond Company finally took it away from him. Um, and you know, there are accounts of him, uh, you know, on that film, like working on. You know, there's one shot that's like really beautiful. It's like a a 12 second shot but it somehow expanded to a minute because like the shot was so great like we couldn't stop animating more you know and it's like that's that's going to be a problem when you're when you're yeah. on a accelerated like feature production schedule yeah. and he was I don't he wasn't I don't think removed from mm -hmm. his position as director on this film um a couple of people were appointed to like help him out um an interesting thing was that during the production um they basically had two bases of operation in New York and L.A. And so mm -hmm. Williams is flying back and forth between the two. He's mainly in New York. Um, but you had a whole bunch of people, like, you know, grinding away in, in Los Angeles, like on a studio on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, and, you know, everybody's working, like, crazy double shifts and stuff like that. And they still couldn't get it out in time for the, well, the, the Christmas release date. It ended up coming out in, uh, around Easter. Okay, well, you know, and again, like, yeah, um, this is something like uh, in a lot of Williams' work, because I remember seeing The Thief and the Cobbler, and there's a scene where in The Thief and the Cobbler where the, the vizier character is like doing some trick with playing cards. Yeah. And if you watch it, it's an, you know, it's an amazingly impressive fluid animation scene because I've heard like you I don't know what do you usually do you animate how many frames a second film is 24 frames a second so I think okay. on a feature they'll do 24 um, but obviously if you look at stuff like TV animation stuff like that that is not 24 frames right right but at yeah, least not in the sense like, of traditional animation okay well apparently this scene they were like that's not enough frames we're gonna double it <sighs> so it's just like it maze it just look it's like it's super fluid but at the same time it's like you watch it, and I'm sure if you're in it, if if you're one of those guys who run those animation blogs, then you're like, oh, it's so great. But as just like a normal luddite, I watched that scene. It was like, yeah, it's nice, yeah, it's great. It's nice, whatever. I don't care. I mean, I don't. It's like it's a lot of work in servers or something that really does not make much difference, is what I'm saying. And if you, and you see why it took 20 years to complete that movie. Yeah, and uh, as an artist myself, um, I have a lot of admiration for Williams. Um, in terms of um, improving his craft, uh, he had a successful animation studio at, you know, around the age of 40, and he still mm -hmm. decided that he was going to go back and study with a bunch of the old Disney animators. He's like, you know, like, this is fine, but, like, I could be a lot better. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, you know, respect. Like, the guy has yeah, fucking yeah. worked on his craft. Um, and, again, like, a lot of those sequences in, in Thief and the Cobbler are just, like, absolutely breathtaking. You yeah. know, and some of them are, you know, like there are there are gags which are just inspired, and a lot of the little bits of business having to do with the character are just with the characters are just incredible. But yeah. my dude, you couldn't finish your film. <laughs> yeah, and that's always the the thing with with every artist is like there's that, um, you know, there's that uh, push and pull between what's what's important is it to to be an artist and to just like speak for, to yourself or is it important to actually reach an audience and have the audience like be you know respond to a work um and you know william seems like someone who does not really care that much about like the audience he's much more well he's like not not to to compare him to another um a very unfair comparison would be to ed wood who is someone 
<laughs> who did not care about the end product but loved the process from what I understand. Now, I'm not saying that like the end products are, are comparable, just that they both have a similar idea of no, what's I important love this to as, them. As, I love these guys as two sides of the same coin where you have like <laughs> on, the one, on the one side supreme craftsmanship and on the other side just like absolute trash. <laughs> but it's like it's the same coin, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, maybe a better comparison would be like someone like I don't know Terry Gilliam or something, who again is like a a, a crazy you know another guy who can't finish guy. a fucking film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like yeah, I'm going to spend what fifty years trying to make like what I don't know La Mancha. Yeah. Or what I don't know what he was doing. Or like or like he's like you know Brazil needs to be eight hours long. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but um, so anyway, uh, the ca- the camera with the wrinkled knees is clearly a crystallization of the post psychiatry view of insanity, in which the only proper response to a world gone mad is to become insane. Makes you think. <laughs> uh, well, actually, that and and that plays into everything that happens beyond that, <laughs> because that is when that is when Raggedy Ann and Andy go into the deep woods and forever lost to sanity. Yeah. Um, well, the camel, the camel hallucinates for one thing. Yeah, he does actually. He keeps and, seeing um, camels in the sky and he wants to follow them. Yeah. Um, which, you know, and there's this very seductive kind of like spiritual sounding music that plays and the camels sing to him about how they're going home. Yeah. It's, you know, you can see the lure. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, so he chases after them with Raggedy and Andy on his back, and he they fall into the taffy pit. Yeah, and and this is when we they, get into the fetish stuff. Yeah, they meet the greedy, which is a, 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 a okay. So either is a taffy monster that, or a a, a, a taffy esque monster that lives in a pit of taffy or is a, a sentient gob of taffy it's not really clear but it's some sort of monster and it's <laughs> and um it's basically like it's made of candy it's got like candy parts and and it's just a non-stop just moving mass of of semi-gelatinous liquid yeah and this and- is another sequence that animation stands jerk off to yeah, I mean, nothing stops moving at all within this sequence. Things are just, it's constantly just just motion. Uh, the greedy will change, like his face changes into, it morphs constantly. It looks like that, like that cream, what is it, that godly and cream video. <laughs> uh, it's just like nothing, nothing is like, you you uh, you don't know where you are this entire thing. Everything is confusing. But anyway, so so that's the greedy. But the greedy is sad because the greedy does not have a sweetheart. The greedy has no love in their life. They want companionship, and because they don't have it, they sublimate that desire into eating um, the taffy that is also their own body. Apparently, um, so it's kind of an Ouroboros situation here. Um, this whole thing feels like it was basically uh, made for some sort of direct-to-video Christian a- animation and was <laughs> for this movie. Um, Why? Because it's a because it's a leaden metaphor for overindulgence. Exactly, and you know, as someone who was like, overindulgence is actually good. Um, I believe this is a theme running through a lot of your work. Yeah, having to do with young women uh, overindulging. But the greedy, 
But the greedy is not a, a, an attract is not a, an attractive young woman. The greedy is a horrible pig faced glob uh, who has just grows extra arms and <laughs> limbs and just like a pseudopods constantly <laughs> and um, just just awful. It's horrible. Yeah, it was animated by a guy called uh, Emery Hawkins who worked at a bunch of different animation studios, including Disney. Um, it's just, but it's not a pleasant sequence to watch. I mean, no, the it's... the greedy is not pleasant to look at. Um, he has a song about how he wants a sweetheart, but it's in this like lugubrious fat guy voice, and it's mixed in <laughs> with like chewing noises and belches, which yeah, is like, it's like it's... A, which is like ASMR from hell. <laughs> It's a, if uh, just imagine like Grimace from McDonald Land, you know, singing a singing a, a heartfelt ballad. As his body like expands and undulates in all directions. See, and the thing yeah. is, like, okay, there's a lot of again a lot of work put into the sequence, but you know, it's in the end, it's in service of just like an awful idea. It's like you know, because the other okay, so we were I were saying how this is a movie for like you know a fifty year old animation nerds. The only other target audience i can see for this film is those um those those teenage goth girls who want to fuck the rock of fire uh explosion ma- uh, band you know because <laughs> because it's just everything is horrible to look at and awful and this this thing with the greedy it brings it it leads into the other theme of the film which is basically that raggedy and it's it's the whole film is basically about her meeting various characters and refusing to help them with their issues. Because <laughs> after their cause, their heartfelt cries in song, yeah. Because immediately, like she's all like the greedy's like, bah, bah, I want like love. I need love. And Ragan is like, sorry, dude, can't help you. Um, well, to be fair, I, she'd have to rip out her own heart to do that because well, okay, she yeah. she tells him that she has a candy heart, which I don't know why she brought that up. Yeah, see, here's a, yeah, okay, when I was 10 years old and I watched this film, as soon as she said that, I was like, why would you say that? Because very clearly, um, first of all, the greedy is going to misinterpret that. He's just an entire song about, that would lead you exactly to that conclusion that he's going to misinterpret what you just said and literally want to, like, rip out your heart. Secondly, I had an argument with on, t- on Twitter about this because I was like, why the fuck does a rag doll have a candy heart? <laughs> and, a, and a friend of mine on Twitter was like, well, um, that's the right kind of heart that a doll would have because um, it's Dolls the don't sweetest. have hearts! Well, it's like it's a metaphor because a child would be like, well, obviously a good doll would have a sweet heart, so therefore candy fits there. And I'm like, oh, I'll give you that, but she's still I, an I, idiot. I do not head. like. Okay, like when they make dolls, they don't put fucking candy hearts in them. Well, yeah, yeah, but okay, the, but then yeah, the, the greedy's like, I want this heart, and it's like, oh, greedy, you don't, you do not understand the nature of your dilemma. You do not understand the nature of your longing. You do, it's not that you literally want a candy heart. It's it's sad because he clearly wants companionship, but he's trapped in this cycle of eating, you know, and trying to fill that spiritual hole. So well, he can only interpret it literally and figure that more consumption is the answer. Well, maybe this living in the taffy pit is his eternal punishment. Like the oh, greedy, yeah. the greedy has been uh, cursed to eat and regurgitate for all eternity. 
Like, either as a punishment for overindulgence or as a punishment for not fucking understanding that you can't just rip people's hearts out. So, okay. So, here's here's what this movie actually is. Um, uh, when they entered the woods, it was like entering the Inferno. You know, this, <laughs> this is Dante's Inferno. The camel is actually Virgil. He's their guide through this, like, symbolic hell. Um <laughs> <laughs> the Virgil with the wrinkled knees. Yeah, yeah. Think about it. Uh, Babette is, you know, um, Beatrice. They bees. Oh, They're of both course. Yeah, you know, make, makes no yeah, totally. As a kid, like I said, you know, I was, you know, I was in that. I was. This was touching on something kind of what I was into, but done horribly. So yeah. I was like, oh, this, is, this is fucking the worst thing ever. But you know, since I was ten years old, it didn't occur to me like I could just stop watching this because you don't stop watching TV when you're ten years old. You gotta it's like that's unheard of. It's like this isn't the days when you'd have to actually get up and walk over the TV and turn a knob. So I was like I was just like, I've got to fucking power through this. It's it it's I'm just gonna get through the sequence. Once we're out of once we're away from the greedy, because it will end. I know this is kind of a wacky wayside tribe thing going on. That you know, it's not gonna be the main thing in the movie. Once we're through this, it'll be fine, it'll be smooth sailing, all downhill from there. No possible way it could get worse after that. <laughs> but then they meet the Looney Knights. Yeah, and and it be and and it gets worse. It just gets fucking worse. Can you describe the Looney Knight for the listeners? So he's Sir he's Leonard Looney, Sir Leonard Looney, the looniest knight of the year, which um I I get, but is stupid. Um because I was just like, what the looniest night of the what? And it's oh, okay, it's a play on words. That's stupid. Um, but they 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 come into Looney Land, which is uh, as far as I can tell, it's another part of the forest. This knight, he seems to be another stuffed plush toy wearing like a knight armor. He comes out, no pants though. He's wearing like a tin can around his upper torso. His lower torso is naked. Um, oh God, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have any external genitalia, so it's not like, you know, <laughs> not like you see anything. It's just, it's just noticeable that he's not wearing anything below the waist. <laughs> that's so, that's so loony. He's pretty loony. Can I just um, say that this whole sequence is extremely ableist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he comes out and he's all like, um, we're in loony land where all the practical jokes come from. And it's like... Okay. Um, again, this seems like something that sh- came out of a Christian animated <laughs> film. You know. Well, I think their thesis is correct: is that practical jokes are mean and stupid. Yeah, but they don't really go anywhere with it. I mean, yeah. They just, well, yeah, they because basically he's uh, you know he torments uh, Raggedy Ann and Andy and the camel. Yeah, and then they they go through that seat. They they. Then they fall down a slide into like a world of Escher-esque optical illusions, which, you know, clearly a dry run from The Thief and the Cobbler. Yes. Uh, and um, and I just remember as a kid watching this and being like, huh, 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 you know, kind of forced laughing. I'm like, <laughs> it was like, because uh, at that point I was like, oh, this isn't better. This is actually getting worse. But yeah, I had, to, you know, the thing where you kind of smile to like trick yourself into thinking you're happy. And I was like, oh, this is funny because if I, if I, if I, I'm going to cry otherwise because <laughs> because it was just I hate this all so much. Um, I also was... the, the thing that I really hate about the Looney Knight is that he has that um, and you don't really get this brand of humor anymore. It's pretty quaint by now, but he does that like funny guy voice 
Where he's like, oh, oh I'm yeah. funny. <laughs> you know, like the clown voice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, nobody likes that. No, no, it's it's still well, you know, this was made in a time. Well, again, it's it is a very it's very of its time where you watch like old children's cartoons and stuff, and they're always like, yeah, kids like this sort of thing. Yeah, they'll think it's funny, and it's always like incredibly annoying. Yeah, well, it's also very much of its time in that, um, like, there was that moment in the seventies where they were like super into nostalgia culture, and so mm. they thought like silent movie pie fights. And like jangly oh. ragtime piano, or like an absolute panic. Yeah, because so those things come in in the in, in this sequence. Yo, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm so glad we're passing the stall. <laughs> oh yeah, like we we definitely don't do that anymore. No, no, I'm I'm so I'm so glad we live in a in a world where our culture is looking forward to the future. Um, but yeah, so they do they they then they meet um, King Cuckoo. Yes. Um, Who's who is little? He's a he's a little uh, dwarf guy with a. Um, uh, he's got a mustache that appears to be growing out of his nostrils. I mean, <laughs> he's kind of like a Mel Brooks character. Yeah, he actually. I was thinking that. I remember thinking, wondering if Mel Brooks actually voiced him. <clears throat> he was voiced by some guy called Marty Brill. Mm, okay. Um, he's his tr- problem is that he's short. And he's sad about this. Yes. And he sings a song about it. Um, and the only way that he can get bigger is by laughing at people, not with them, at them. Which, right. again, that's that's another fairly leaden metaphor. Yeah. But, again, they have all these, like, metaphors. They meet all these people who seem like they should be learning lessons or getting help, and they never do. I mean, you know... <laughs> Um, but also, I'm just like, this doesn't have anything to do with the overall feel of the movie. They do not, none of these things that Raggedy Ann and Andy are encountering are helping them on their journey to be more complete characters. Like, none of these things are teaching Andy, oh, yeah, maybe uh, it's okay to be a girl's toy. Maybe it's okay to cry. It's okay, <laughs> you know. Um, not, or I don't know what Anne's metaphor would be. She's, she's um, just or what nice. her park would be. She's nice, you know. She's. <laughs> She's a nice. She's nice. Um, but she does a thing where she kind of like she says to the king, like, oh, you know, you don't get big by laughing at people. And he's like, fuck you. We're going to throw pies at you now. And, <laughs> and again, um, this this goes into the expansion thing, which also must have been tremendously discomforting for you. I, I did not like this because, yeah, because random body parts of this king just like inflate uh, <laughs> to, to come with like kind of rubbery balloon stretchy noises. Yeah. As And it's like it's like, oh, that's really that's really gross. That's, you know, it's like, this is, it's like, um, oh, this isn't sexy like it should be. This is actually really discomforting. I'm like, I don't know about this. But then, and, and it's weird because, like, there's, there are all these, like, um, background characters who, like, kind of just made out of geometric shapes, mm-hmm. you know, jumping around, at, like, and I think, like, I remember, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, like, um, King Cuckoo says, like, you're going to make me laugh, Raggedy Ann and Andy, or else you'll be one of them yeah, or something. And it's like, and I'm like, oh, so are these other, you know, unfortunate travelers who have somehow fallen to Looney Land and now have been transformed into, like, jack-in-the-boxes? Yeah, because basically they're just, like, this con- this audience for the king that can do nothing but laugh hysterically, which is kind of horrifying. 
Yeah, and again, feels like something out of a, a Christian, you know, yeah. film. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it literally. I'm like, okay, it's, but it's never really addressed or confronted. It just is a thing that is going on in the background. Um, then they have a pie fight. Uh, I I forget, which is hilarious. Where do they? How does that happen? Where do they get the pies? Does it just? Do they just have them? I think the Looney Knight just gets a pie from somewhere. Oh, uh, you know, well, he's loony. He'll do that. that that's what they do. <laughs> that's you know? what that's what people who are who are mentally ill do is they produce yeah. pies from nowhere and throw them at people. I bet, which is why okay. we should ban pies. Well, you know what? Now that I think about it, I bet like all those people who um, watched like anime in all those kids who watched too much anime in the '90s and grew up to have. Um, uh, you know, uh, fetishes for Hammer Space would watch this and be like ho- equally horrified as <laughs> as I was by you know having because you know anyone who has any sort of fetish that it at all touches on anything portrayed in this movie is probably just like irre- irrevocably traumatized by it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they they do this pie fight and then Raggedy and Andy just leave. Yeah, they get you know? they get on a wacky boat and they they go after the pirate captain again. Yeah. Which again is like, oh, okay. So they that they do think they meet characters, they hear their problems, they leave. Yeah. They they nothing is solved, nothing is resolved. Um, you know, uh, King Cuckoo is all like, he's like, I'm, he's all mad because now that they're gone, he can't laugh at them. So he uh, he gets out a big old rotary phone, uh, <laughs> which was you know at the style of the time. And he calls Gadzooks, who is that, like, um, that inner tube sea monster. Yes, he that, calls up a Lovecraftian horror with a telephone. Yeah, it's literally Call of Cthulhu. Oh! <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and, and I, I can't remember, he just... Oh God, I can't remember. What does he say? Does he, How does he convince Gadzooks to go along with well, this Well, the Gadzooks just says, I was hoping you'd call me. I was okay. like, Why? <laughs> Who's <laughs> like, oh, you never call anymore, King Cuckoo. I was so tired of being a half-deflated inner tube that has <laughs> tentacles for some reason. <laughs> and lives in a cave with a telephone. <laughs> I don't know what the Gatsuks is supposed to be. I really don't. Well, yeah. That's I mean, besides, like, okay, like well, well, maybe because I didn't realize he was supposed to be an old inner tube. I just saw him as like a creepy monster with a nipple on his face. Yeah. Well, I think so, because I think his mouth is like the hole of the inner tube. You know, the... the, right. the you know, I think. But where um, do the tentacles come from? Uh, in the, the power of your imagination. Um, I guess, like, you know, the the horrifying depths of times beyond or something. Yeah. Um, I, I remember, like, when I watched this movie uh, as a kid and then again as an adult, I, I for the life of me, I can't figure out the name. I kept thinking, is that a reference to something? Is there some meaning in this name? <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't think there is. No. I think what they just were like, oh, it's a funny it's word. It's a funny word. So, all right. We're, we got name. His name's Gazooks. <clears throat> but yeah, we're... so um, so apparently the King Cuckoo has this close personal relationship with this thing. And well, so they're we... both inflatables. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, shit. You know, they have a bond Maybe there. that was Johnny Gruel's fetish. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, he lived the time before, um, you know, you got to before these things he had to make his own porn yeah exactly but yeah Um, so he enlists the help of the gazooks meanwhile raggedy and andy and the camel have sighted the pirate ship yes they're on the open sea now and they see the pirate ship 
And um, it turns out that Babette has actually instigated a mutiny and <laughs> taken over the ship, which I actually think is, is pretty cool. I, yeah, I that's like actually that. pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, she's put, and she threw the captain and his parrot in the brig. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, fuck them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Babette fucking rules. There's your girl power. Yeah. You know, she's like, um, she's not taking his bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then, of course, there's a musical song about how the parrot and the pirate are friends. And it's like, uh, all right. Yeah, that's right. Again, another song about the that that simple concept of friendship. It's like, yeah, okay, we get it. It's like, and, and you, you watch it and you're like, oh, I feel really bad for this kidnapping rapist, you know? <laughs> Well, and also it's a song where um, the lyrics are the pirate cap the the captain sings a line and then it's which is then repeated back to him in the screamy pirate voice. Oh yeah, by the but yeah, and it's literally the song is like I'm your friend, you're my friend, I like you, you like me. It's yes. like a Barney song. Yeah, it's proto Barney. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like okay, I'm getting there's a, the recurring theme. Friend, friendship is good. Um, yeah. Um, that, yeah, I guess very controversial cool. to say at the time, but they had I, they had the bravery to say it. I guess that's the closest thing to a theme in this movie <laughs> because I mean it's all about Ugh. how because all the villains I mean you know the greedy has no friends that's his problem. King Cuckoo laughs at people so no one likes him you know yeah I guess kind of and then you get like. Hey, yeah, yeah. They were like, friendship's important. Put that in. I mean, whatever. It's like, when you think about it, it's like, I guess it's a good message for like a kid's movie. Uh, as opposed to every, well, every kid's movie is has only one of three messages. And it's like, either be yourself, yeah. um, or, you know, friendship is magic. Or, uh, <laughs> you know. or evil developers are bad. You know, I would take it even further and say that you don't have to be an evil developer to be bad. Yeah, we got to save the forest. There's that's where our community center is. <laughs> but yeah, so but yeah, that, Babette doesn't really need rescuing, but uh, at Ray, yeah, so they they're determined to catch up to her anyway. Yeah, don't they? And they're like, she's trying to get back to Paris. Yes, is what she said, she's sailing the boat back to Paris. <laughs> so um, again, I forget. Does she know she's a doll? Has that been addressed? I'm not. I'm not really clear on that. Yeah, but. that is weird because um, in. Um, Raggedy Ann's song earlier in the film explaining that she's just a rag dolly, uh, Babette repeatedly asks, who are you? And what yeah. are you? Yeah. So It's like, what do I look well, like, bitch? I'm a fucking doll. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I presumably she has no like sense of self prior to arriving in the nursery. She's just a, a doll who... She comes there. She's now she's been thrust into this world. <laughs> she apparently like like Buzz Lightyear believed that oh, yeah. she became programmed with like you know yeah some I was knowledge. gonna say that's just like Buzz Lightyear yeah because presumably she's never seen France but she knows it exists she knows it's there well the package she, came from France right oh it did yeah, yeah. you're right so because they read she, the they read the the thing on the on the box which is she, which is crushing uh, Raggedy Andy at the same time right. She and plus, but okay. So she she's thrust into the nursery. That's her only experience of the world. And then she's on the ocean that doesn't exist in the pirate world. This, nothing she's experienced <laughs> is coherent at all in her lifetime. So maybe that's you know, why you, half the characters in this movie are clinically mentally ill. Yeah. Well, you know, they have no stable uh, world, and they lit which which in which to you know navigate because so. yeah i mean uh, you know jumping off from uh, rd lang's work and his field um the only response to a world where you were a toy 
is to become insane. Yeah. You exist at the whim of, like, un- unfeeling, you know, Lovecraftian gods. <laughs> they have no regard for anything. They don't, even, they don't even know your sentience, you know? Exactly. Yeah, because they have, so. to, they have to front every time Marcella comes back into the nursery. Oh, that's right. They all pretend they weren't moving, right? Yes. Okay, which, again, so this, again, appears to be a world like Toy Story, mm-hmm. where the, the toys actually do have the ability to speak and interact with humans, but choose not to. Because Whoa. at the end of Toy Story, that's how they scare Sid, remember? Yes, that's right. They actually reveal themselves to him. Um, as opposed to the world of, say, Jim Henson's The Christmas Toy, where if humans see the toys moving in any way, the toys become frozen forever in limbo. Jesus. Yeah, that was pretty dark. But <laughs> luckily, at the end, Christmas magic revives them. Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so um, why were we talking about Christmas? <laughs> we were speaking of belief. Uh, no, um, okay. so Babette really doesn't need to be rescued. She's doing okay. She's sailing the ship back to France. Um, the pirate captain is in the brig. But then um, King Cuckoo shows up with the gazooks. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's right. So Raggedy and Andy are going to forcefully bring Babette back to the nursery. But then King Cuckoo and Gazook show up. Cuckoo's plan is that he's going to have Gazooks tickle everyone. Yes. Which will be funny and cause King Cuckoo to inflate. It will be the biggest and laugh of all time to him. It's, it's going to be pretty funny, I guess. Or you know? as he uh, put it, the last laugh. That's, a final yeah. solution for laughter, if you will. <laughs> this is this movie's a final solution for laughter. <laughs> uh, they Okay, so they do this, this tickle thing, right? He's Gazooks is grabbing pirates and tickling them. Yeah, and in and fact, uh, one of the pirates that he grabs is uh, a caricature of the director Richard Williams. Yeah, I read that and I was like, oh, what a what a devastating takedown! And it's like, King Cuckoo points at him and says, "Oh, well, because as the Gazooks is grabbing people, he's saying, uh, Cuckoo is saying, fire one, fire two, and then he points to the tiny Richard Williams pirate and says, fire him." Oh. And it's like, it. well, damn. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, that's why you've got to be nice to your animators. If you're a slave driver, they will m- make fun of you in a cartoon. And boy, <laughs> I would not want to be Richard Williams now. I bet he saw that and he was like, why those? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I should point out that um, that there are stories about uh, him being kind of a slave driver and not amenable to um his staff taking time off um there was an there's an anime i forget i forget which person it is but um it's one of the interview subjects and um persistence of vision which was the documentary about williams and the thief and the cobbler uh one of the animators who worked with williams at the interview uh says yeah like my wife was sick with meningitis and uh he wouldn't let me take a day off to go see her in the hospital so i had to like go see her like on my lunch break well, yeah, but at least when you think about it, when you see the final product, it was really, isn't it all worth it? <laughs> it was totally worth nobody being able to see their kids for a year. Yeah. <laughs> Raggedy Ann Andy comes out and it's like, you know, I mean, it was pretty hard when my when my wife was dying and like I couldn't see her. But um, this awful movie that nobody watched finally came out and um, that just makes it all worth it. I mean, <laughs> you see- there's also a bit in the Cane Maker book where one of the... Um, 
one of, uh, a woman who is supervising the production in LA was complaining about a lot of the younger animators like actually wanting time off for things. Like a fucking millennial. It, no, it literally sounds like someone complaining about millennials today because she was like, one young man asked me if he could have an hour off to go to his hair salon. His hair salon. These animators ask for time to put avocado on their toast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot recurring theme in a lot of these, um, you know, these these mad genius animators who are just like colossal dickbags to their, you know, <laughs> Well, it's staff. one of those things where like um, you have someone who's passionately devoted to their craft and a workaholic and they get really upset that other people aren't exactly like they are. Yeah. Like, and I under- I certainly understand the value of, of grinding, particularly in production, but, you know, again, this is a... It, it's certainly true of film production, you know. Um, it's led to people getting injured or even killed on set, you know, when everybody's, like, overworked and into, like, a an 18-hour day or whatever. Um, this It's also a problem in the games industry where, you know, people have what they call crunch time and, you know, you're basically working like 100 hour weeks trying to get a game out by a particular deadline because gamers are fucking babies who need everything like right now. But that's yeah. a whole other topic. I need my game right now so that I can immediately go to the internet and complain about there being women in it. <laughs> but anyway, um, we got a little bit off the path. We were talking about, um, geez, how do I follow this path back? So we were talking about... Um, oh, yeah, so okay. Who's firing him, firing the director. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so there's that little tiny caricature of the director. And I guess his method of attack is to tickle everybody. And, again, this right. is another thing which is essentially correct, which is that tickling actually isn't that funny. It's, like, actually pretty sadistic. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then you get into a scene where, of course, you know, King Cuckoo is just inflating. Um, uh, just massively huge um as this so is hot. as this, this as this is described on the inf- on certain web boards this would be like this is the greatest inflation scene ever put to film and if only it Ew. wasn't like a horrible like weird little mustache dwarf <laughs> doing the inflation <laughs> please mike they prefer to be called a horrible little mustache little people Oh, oh, sorry. Well, I, I, no, I mean, I believe that he's actually a, like a fantasy dwarf. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay to call them dwarves. Oh, okay. He's got a. His, I, I don't really know. He's got like purple skin, right? I mean, he's kind of like a. Dwarf. That's another thing is like, um, like I actually find a lot of the color palettes kind of unpleasant in this movie. It's very seventies. Yeah, and like you know, like the the, like the. Captain, when he's singing about Babette, has like this tumescent red face. <laughs> yeah, you know, like the the choices of color palette, like in the in the playroom scenes, like you know, it's all very like quaint and pleasant. And then you have scenes like the greedy, where it's just this undulating field of orange. Yeah, yeah. Which apparently, uh, like the those scenes would have taken too long to actually paint the way that they did in traditional cell animation. So what they were doing is they were having somebody like cut out big blocks of special paper and like put those on the cells oh well i'm glad they took made, i'm glad they made all the extra effort yeah again, <laughs> for this horrible scene <laughs> great again that's the thing it's for people with those fucking animation blogs <laughs> it's like if, it's like people who are like oh oh squash and stretch oh yeah it's like whatever see i don't uh i'm an adult i don't watch cartoons oh shit <laughs> yeah but anyway, how did I forget how they get away from Cuckoo and the, the Gazooks? 
well, okay. Well, I remember as a child, you know, because I was watching this and like, um, you know, watching this movie and getting, you know, powering through the greedy scene. And then in the scene with like the, the first King Cuckoo, like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is worse than ever. <laughs> like this eating thing, that's pretty bad. But I mean, at least there's no actual like weight gain or expansion going on, which nope, is even close to what I no, joke's on me, because then it came up, and I was like, oh, God, this is even worse. But then when that's over, I'm like, okay, fine. Fine, we're done. We're done. <laughs> and then, you know, you have this end thing, and it's like, okay, then the, the the king is, like, massively inflated and blocking out the sky. And just, you know, I was kind of like uh, having a panic attack as oh, a child God. watching this. Just being, because I was like, oh, shit, I don't know. I don't know. I know where this is going, and, you know... Um, this is this is too this is too real for my you know um, for my young eyes for your little child brain. Yeah, I was like I can't take this. So I actually I was like I'm fucking done. I, I left and I le- I I made I did the impossible and actually like stopped watching and just left and did not rewatch never revisited this movie until I watched it for our discussion today. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing is like anytime this comes up because we live in America, which does not understand fucking consent. Every friend I have is like, "Oh, I was, would it be really funny if I played that 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 scene right now on my computer so you could hear it?" It was like, "No, that's actually not funny at all." Oh Fuck no, you. people yeah. have done that to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most recently, my wife. Uh, <laughs> so I had to sit there being like with my fingers in my ears, like humming for like, you know, 10 minutes straight until like it was done. And she's like, well, I don't understand. That wasn't like so bad, whatever. It's not... And I was like, yeah, well, you know, maybe you have different proclivities than I do. So it doesn't hit you in the same way. Plus I was like, plus it's like, well, also you're a fucking adult now. So yeah. uh, it wouldn't really scare. I mean, if I saw this for the first time as an adult, I'd be like, oh uh, yeah, that's weird. But like, yeah. it's not going to, it's not going to hit, it's not going to, be traumatizing the same way no. but anyway so what happens is they're all being tickled um the uh the parrot from the the parrot the pirate's parrot yeah um they tell him oh go up and and pop the king because he's you know just, <laughs> because he's just, inflated ergo yeah, just, there you go and that's what they do and then that's the end and they all go through a vortex and reappear in the fish pond in front of Marcella's house. Yeah, because then it, it goes back to live action and uh, Marcella finds her toys scattered about in this pond. Yeah. And once again, just to point this out, this is the climactic confrontation with evil of the film. <laughs> and once again, uh, Raggedy Ann and Andy don't do anything. Yeah, that's true, huh? They, they just, yeah, they have, they play no part in this. They're just passive observers. So. Also, can we assume that King Cuckoo died when he yeah. popped? See, that's that's why I found this so traumatic, because as a kid, I was like, oh, my God, my fetish is going to kill someone and I can't deal with that. <laughs> oh, no. As an adult, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't care. It's fucking hot. Yeah, everyone should die. Every, every, <laughs> every, every kink story should be a snuff story. But like, you know, as a child, I'm like, no, this is bad. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so, yeah, Cuckoo basically dies and they're in the yeah. fish pond. And then. um so she carries them back up to the playroom, and they sing a song about being home. Meanwhile, she's forgotten to pick up the camel with the wrinkled knees who is concealed in a pile of leaves. Yes. And... And he starts hallucinating that same beckoning line of camel spiraling up to the window of the playroom. So he climbs up there, and then uh, Raggedy Ann spots him and, and says, he's... Look, it's our friend the camel! 
Yeah, that worried me because when I saw it, it was like, so they didn't seem to, because I thought, like, oh, the camel's lost, so we're going to have a thing where Raggedy Ann and Andy go back to playroom. We're like, guys, we got to save our friend the camel right. because he was forgotten out there. But it seems like they're perfectly happy to just be like, oh, yeah, whatever. Oh, he's here. Okay, well, that's great. Yeah. We weren't going to go out and find you or anything. Not sure how he climbed up to that second story window either, but... Oh, yeah, that's right. Another, <laughs> another loose end. Well... <laughs> This has been Cinema Sins. Also, like, how can a pit of taffy be sentient? Yeah, yeah, this doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. I give this movie an F minus a million. I sure hope someone got fired over that one. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Aunt Raggedy Ann asks the camel to come live with them, and he's happy that he has a home now. And they sing a song about how great home is. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then... Marcella comes in and picks up this weird busted camel stuffed animal and but accepts it as one of her own toys because she then uh, brings in Raggedy Ann and Andy and hugs them all and that that is a, the freeze frame that ends the movie and then Mike went into years of therapy yeah well you know it was good to actually see it and be like oh okay I guess that's what I've been this is what I've been afraid of all these years well, you know, <laughs> confronting demons it's good um, so now now that I've, I've exercised all all my my um, you know sphere of this film I can finally I can finally jerk off in peace <laughs> you're I'm free no longer, I'm free I'm no longer haunted by the 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 gibbering uh, spirit of King Cuckoo every time I like whip out my dick um, <laughs> so that's good um, <laughs> now um, th- this movie came out and flopped um, good <laughs> the, <laughs> I don't I don't know if they've ever made their money back um, it it has only come out in VHS it hasn't made it to to DVD I believe because there's some um, issue with the rights i think it's it's owned by mcmillan right now or some or something joe raposo the film's composer blamed star wars for this uh the failure of this movie which is horseshit um because well as he put it it opened on sunday and on wednesday a little film called star wars opened oh yeah yeah if star wars hadn't come out <laughs> I mean, we were talking about the Raggedy Ann and Andy prequels these days. <laughs> well, he's full of shit because Raggedy Ann and Andy opened on April 1st, 1977. Uh, A New Hope, uh, the first Star Wars movie, didn't open until May 25th, 1977. Oh. So that's like, that's more than a month for Raggedy Ann and Andy to fail on its own merits. Maybe, yeah, well, he maybe someone doesn't want to admit that their songs weren't as uh, iconic as, uh, <laughs> you know... Um, well, but that's what I don't get. Like these songs, like you know, they're they're the songs are really catchy. But you know, it's just in kind of in service of this movie, which is a little bit upsetting, a little bit monotonous. Yeah. Um, there was a huge publicity push for this movie. Um, mm-hmm. it's mentioned in the Cane Maker book. Well, they owned all the telephones, so. Well, <laughs> um, so no, there was a huge game of telephone where people were saying like, "You really need to see this movie, Raggedy Ann and Andy." And on the other end, people were like, "Oh, see Star Wars? Okay, <laughs> yeah. I'll go see that." When they made this movie, what is it? What is it? I um, uh, ITT. Yeah. They they show they show the print to them, and ITT is like, "Can, can we put something in where like there's a telephone? Maybe like King Cuckoo could call." Oh my god. <laughs> 
really want to push that product. Not enough people have telephones these days. <laughs> it's like it's like one of those old shorts that they show on Mystery Science. You were like, wait, what the fuck is this supposed to be about? But it's just the <laughs> fact that everybody in it is using a phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've cracked the code. <laughs> yeah, it all, it, all, it all makes sense, you know. Um, yeah, but anyway, so... Um, you know, this movie did have promotion, promotional muscle behind it, um, so it wasn't like they lost confidence and just dumped it in a in a handful of theaters. Like, you know, this yeah. was a this was a wide release, but people didn't respond to it. Yeah, um, well, it's funny because whenever I read reviews of Raggedy Ann and Andy that are contemporaneous with its release, it's it's fascinating because it shows a little bit about how far we've come in terms of. Um, I won't say film critique, but maybe film criticism, you know, mm-hmm. um, of critics writing for the mass, you know, audience. And it's funny because um, a lot of them are just like, you know, uh, you, you, a lot of these guys back then were like, yeah, you know, this movie, it's like, um, you know, not much for parents. Parents are probably bored, but, you know, kids will like it. And it's like, <laughs> no, they won't, actually. Um, <laughs> But because it's it's animated, these guys watching it are just like, oh, yeah, it's a kid's thing. Yeah, kids will like it, you know, which is the, the way that film criticism was for many, many years. Any yeah. garbage, they'd be like, oh, it's animated. Yeah, kids will like it. Bring your kids to it. <laughs> and that was except that was nowadays, I think, like most people who do, you know, criti- since it's their whole cottage industry of like, a you know, uh, adult incel nerds who like take this really seriously they're like oh no kids actually will not like this um but it's the same way almost like any sort of whenever you give any genre film to a mainstream critic and they're always like oh yeah uh, fans of the genre will like it and it's like they won't necessarily nah. <laughs> just because you don't get it it does show when you actually look at what was when you look at feature animation um, in those days, it really does show why Disney had such a stranglehold on that genre. Um, I mean, of course, big part is they have the resources, but yeah. they did some degree. I mean, really understand the importance of character and story in a movie. Well, yeah, and like um, what the fuck else was out there? Like at the time, like you had a bunch of like other animated features which kind of came out and flopped. Like there was a Mr. Magoo one. There was Gay Paris. Like who oh, the yeah. fuck saw that? Um, yeah, I mean, anytime, well, again, like, anytime you watch, like, 70s animation, um, you know, a lot of it just seems to be like, um, yeah, kids will watch anything, who cares, just (laughs) throw it out there, eventually, like, people will be buying it on VHS and showing it to preschool groups to keep them quiet, so, (laughs) doesn't really matter. Well, like, you had, um, you had kind of that boom of animation for television, which was, like, uh, extremely you know, simple to produce, like, uh, Hanna-Barbera, God bless yeah. him. Yeah. Kind of, again, they, like, the anti-Williams in terms of, uh, not really much for craft. <laughs> but, but they finished their product. They finished, yeah, like, you, mean, you know, Yo- like, you know, Yogi Bear and Top Cat, like, those, yeah. those shows were actually done. <laughs> yeah, like, say what you will about Hanna-Barbera, but Huckleberry, but The Good, The Bad, and Huckleberry Hound is a completed movie that you can watch. <laughs> Also, Huckleberry Hound, um, I guess he's got he's got goals in that movie. He wants to start a farm to raise <laughs> sheep and pigs. The Dalton brothers are preventing him from getting that farm. He has to capture the Dalton brothers and put them in jail. It makes sense. Just saying. Yeah. Um, 
You know, uh, the other thing about Richard Williams, because he's done a lot of, I mean, he's got a long resume. Uh, yeah. Like you said, he's been in a lot of commercials and things. Um, I don't think we mentioned that he's like Rod, the Roger Rabbit guy. Yeah, I, compl- I and I always forget this about his resume. The other the other major thing uh, in his, his body of work is uh, he supervised the animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right, which again which- is, oh, sorry. No, no, please go ahead. I was gonna say again, a very well animated movie. Yes, like a superb technical achievement. But I said this on Twitter the other day. Nobody actually likes that character. No, no, <laughs> no. Of course, but see, you said a truth. You said a truth, and of course, as soon as you said it, the jackals come out trying to knock you down. <laughs> But you're absolutely right. Nobody likes Roger Rabbit. What people like about that movie, um, the 50-year-old animation nerds we talked about, they all want to fuck Jessica Rabbit. Yes. And all those weird uh, goth kids who like the Rockefeller explosion, they all want to fuck Tomb Patrol. Yes. Yeah. That's true. They like weasels. Yeah. Actually, you know, now that I think about it, Roger Rabbit, another movie that severely traumatized me as a child. Yeah. yeah, I remember my mom took me to see that in a theater, which was a rare occasion, and I remember being incredibly put off by it. Yeah, I mean, I just remember being like, kind of like the whole movie, doing the same thing where I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. and then at the very end, when Judge Do melts, being like, holy fuck, yeah. Yeah, okay. like, you know, when, when he puts the, the, the squeaky shoe into the dip? Oh, I felt so bad for that God, shoe. I, that, like, that was so upsetting that I still can barely watch that scene as, yeah. as an adult. Well, and again, here's the thing. That movie comes out, what, 1989? Uh, yeah, 88, 89. Okay, and just showing, again, the state of movie criticism and the idea of cartoons being for kids, every single critic was like, this movie's great for kids. Yeah, and it really isn't. <laughs> no, it really isn't. But, um, you know, and you know what else? Nobody's ever taken any of those critics to task for it. <laughs> well, now we are, goddammit. Yeah, well, this is why, you know, this is why if you're going to listen to film criticism, you should only listen to um, uh, uh, some guy on YouTube who pause, who shows you the whole film and pauses it every five seconds to say that really happened. <laughs> you know, I'd like to point out that they haven't tried to reboot Roger Rabbit because even in an age where everything's getting rebooted, like no one wants to fucking see Roger Rabbit. Man, it would be interesting to actually do a, a, a another Roger Rabbit. I mean, Roger Rabbit, again, is one of those things where it's you watch it and you're like, I really like what they're trying to do here and what they're going for, but it doesn't really hold together. You yeah. Know? Like, it, again, it, it's, more, it's more a thing that you appreciate on a particular level rather than enjoy. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I would be interested to see it kind of filmed, redone in a much more noir way. You know, because it's clearly yeah, it's it's it clearly like kind of a noir parody and includes a lot of those elements, but not really shot as a noir film. Well, um, most of it is just so grating to watch. Yeah, yeah. Especially anything having to do with fucking Roger Rabbit. <laughs> I guess. Well, you know, I guess you couldn't really do any. You can't really remove that because that's part of the 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 gag is that like oh these incredibly uh you know frenetic annoying cartoon characters in a you know in yeah. a hard you know hard-boiled detective story isn't that wacky it's like eh. again um, it's for people who are like oh my god like tex avery was the greatest director of all time better than kubrick better than bergman you know what's really great is when um uh that wolf like 
he sees uh, Raggedy, not Raggedy Ann, sorry, um, when he sees, like, the woman dancing and he has to hit himself in the head with a hammer. <laughs> inspired. That's an inspired gag. I'd like, I'd like to dissect that gag for, like, about, you know, you know half an hour. <laughs> anyway, is there anything else that we would like to say about... Uh... Raggedy Ann and Andy, a musical adventure. Well, if you're in one of those two groups that we've mentioned, uh, go see it right now. You'll, you'll, <laughs> your, your dick will be rock hard by the end. Um, <laughs> I mean, you'll just, yeah. If you love, if you love animation, um, and you do not give half a shit about <laughs> any other aspect of filmmaking or narrative um, media, then. <laughs> Y'all love this movie. I'll um, just say, go look it up on YouTube. Make sure you look up the Cinemascope version. Um, be very stoned when you watch it. Yeah, that's 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 good advice. Do you feel let's, better? Yeah, let's never speak of this again. <laughs> <laughs>